Plundergrounds, Plundergrounds, welcome back to a brand new show. Ray's gonna take you where you didn't know you wanted to go. Fantasy and dungeon delve, science fiction, watch yourselves. <laughs> oh my gosh, thank you so much, Logan, for my new intro theme song. I love it. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Ray Otis, and this is Plundergrounds, and today we're going to have some call-ins uh, to address, and then we are going to move on to having a few more words to say about lethality and character growth in the form of starting at, at uh, levels other than level one and talking about resurrection. Hey, Ray. Brian here from Session Zero. It's another great episode of Plundergrounds and really good timing. My next issue of Session Zero, which comes out January 31st on Patreon, is all about a method I use to convert old modules to Dungeon World. Be on the lookout for that. The second thing, uh, this isn't really a plant monster from literature, but I had the cool idea when I was listening to your episode of a kind of a hybrid between a troll and a treant. So they both don't like fire, and uh, at the end of the night or before dawn, the troll has to take root or it will turn into a petrified tree. Um, just something interesting to play with. Uh, I don't know if I would even make uh, stats for it, but uh, that was the idea I had uh, in listening to your Planet Monster segment. Keep up the good work, and I'm enjoying your show. That is awesome to hear, Brian. If you don't know Brian's work, he does the Session Zero zine, um, and there's a Patreon for it out there. I believe you can also get him on DriveThruRPG. Fantastic work. He is a kind of a heavy lifter in the dungeon world scene, I think. He does some deep thinking about patterns of storytelling and ways to present modules that are not traditional. Um, often he has these kind of random elements that change up the module from play to play. So there might be four or five different entrances to a layer, for instance, and um, each time you work with a group, they experience one of those, but the other four are kind of possible alternate timelines uh, that you can experience in other playthroughs. So good stuff. Check that out. And I'm really excited about uh, hearing Brian's thoughts on converting modules to Dungeon World and vice versa. Also, it's a really interesting point to compare trolls and ints because Tolkien um, often associates the two. There is this notion in The Lord of the Rings that goblins are elves that were ruined by Sauron, and the same thing is true that trolls are ints that were ruined by Sauron. So that's kind of cool. But also in folklore, trolls and ints have more in common than not. They are spirits of nature and kind of big, loutish uh, creatures who aren't necessarily bent on destruction, but have a temper and, you know, uh, invite you to um, converse in riddles and things like that. So there's, there's some kinship there, and I think that's very cool. Hey, Ray, Aaron Clark. Thanks a bunch for the Jan 15 episode. That ghost star and absolute something or other sounds pretty... Uh, Pretty awesome. I'll check those out. Thanks for digging up those gems and sharing them with us. I wanted to just give you a call and touch on this 
player death and high lethality systems and character development and things like that. Thank you. You're spot on. I absolutely agree with you. You know, we can get to know our characters and learn as much about them as we can in the in the short time that we'll know them <laughs> until uh, until they meet their fate. And, and I enjoy that because I get to then learn, um, get to know a new character. So looking forward to learning more. Looking forward to checking out the blog. Uh, take it easy, man. Keep on keeping on. Thank you for those thoughts, Aaron. Very cool. For those of you who don't know, Aaron does a podcast on Anchor called Keep It Simple, which are daily focused readings on sobriety and recovery. They're always under five minutes, and I find them really interesting. Even if you aren't someone who has fallen prey to alcoholism, um, you're probably addicted to something. We all are addicted to something. And some of the thoughts are really universal uh, about how we keep ourselves focused and positive and healthy. So thank you for that, Aaron. Uh, yeah, it, you know, the, the truth is you just have the character for as long as you have them. I don't really have a problem with lethality in games. I think it's kind of cool actually. And that was part of the point that, that, um, Yokai was making, which is, uh, lethality engenders a certain type of creative thinking, which is really cool. So, you know, I think that the quest is to have both what lethality brings and character growth, but of course they're a little bit, um, at odds with each other. So, you know, we have our characters as long as we have them and we enjoy them. And when they die, we roll up a new one and that allows us to explore wide as opposed to deep, right? So that's, that's always cool. Hey, Ray, it's Cody. I was uh, just catching up on your last episode here. And um, I guess uh, in regards to lethality and character development in the OSR games, um, I think it can be a problem. And actually, I've experienced this on both ends of the spectrum in Jason's Kalmata game. Um, I think I'm, I want to say six or seven characters into that game. Um, but I, you know, I took it upon myself to try and figure out what the issue was. And it turns out it was myself. I was just playing the game in a kind of dumb way. I was, you know, rushing headlong into situations that probably required a little bit more stealth or candor and generally just been thinking more about how to make my character survive and um, doing what I can in the in the game and in the fiction to make that happen. Um, and it looks like we might have a part two here. All right, I guess what I'm getting at here um, is it's just a, a play style difference that I found. Um, I know when I play 5th edition um, and I play with other people who are used to 5th edition, you know, we're used to running into situations. We're used to punching things first and maybe asking questions later. But I think with older, you know, old school games, that reaction system is so, it's such a big part of the game because, um, you know, not every not every encounter is designed to be a fight, um, and a lot of the times, if it does turn into a fight, it's you know bad for the players for your survivability. So, um, yeah, that's just my thoughts. I don't know. Maybe it's a uh, different folks, different strokes kind of situation, but um, that's what I found in my experience. Um, anyway, hope it helps, and uh, I'll catch you later. Yeah, those are great thoughts as always, Cody. Um, good stuff. Cody does the No Save For You podcast. If you haven't checked that out, you should. Uh, two things there, Cody. 
the first message you mentioned how you learned to play Kamada differently. Um, and it reminds me that you're a video game guy. And one of the things about video games is that they use failure to teach you success. One of the cool things about people from the video game generation is they're not afraid to fail over and over and over again because each failure teaches them something about how to get one step further the next time and they learn from their failures. And so that's that's definitely true. Failure um, at old school games means you die as a character, but it teaches you how to stay alive longer next time, which takes me to your second message. Um, not every encounter needs to be a fight. Yes, it's funny that Old school games often get criticized for being very combat focused because, um, you know, often the only extensive rules are focused around combat and therefore it does kind of encourage combat. At the same time, the lethality of earlier D&D systems discourages combat. You have to learn to parley with creatures and to trick them and to sneak around them to get their treasure, um, the ones that you can't tackle head on. So... I think that's what Yokai meant when he was talking about lethality uh, engendering creative thinking. It's very cool, very cool. There's a lot to think about there. I'm not sure I'm done talking about that, but I'm going to leave it there for now. Ray Otis, it's Colin, Spike Pit. Man, the uh, anchorites appear to be hitting it out of the park at the moment. Just left a message for Logan, Swordbreaker, and you Dungeon World guys. Wow, you bring in some great stuff to the to the old school here now. And as for podcasts, so well crafted, Ray. You're a tactician, a masterful tactician, sir. You packed it full of content. But also, we've got shouts out for Kirby's kids. Your jelly saw, <laughs> your um, blog gathering together thing. Oh, man, the list goes on, but subtle. That's what I like to see. Subtle and finely, finely crafted. My hat off to you, sir. You're a master, a master. And there's more, Ray, there's more. You're sharing the love around. You're getting getting those free games. Um, how great do they sound, those free games? Definitely be checking it out. And the subject of lethality, that... that don't get talked about enough. I think it's crucial, like you say. And yeah, I'm looking for that game that 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 dungeon world meets the old school. Ah, oh, what can I say? Just blown away. I'll be listening again. And um, yeah, just great stuff, man. Catch you later, Ray. Take it easy. <laughs> Thanks, Colin. I almost didn't put that on the podcast because it feels kind of self-serving. I really appreciate all the positive thoughts that come from you and from our Fed. You guys are great um, about sending me encouraging messages. Well-crafted? Um, hmm, maybe. I don't think I really planned that, la- at that last episode at all. I just started talking. <laughs> I am kind of a natural salesman, though. That's one thing you may find out about me, that when I see something I like, I talk about it. And I feel like that's partly my goal here is to um, take whatever audience that I can put together and show them other things that I like, things by other creators. So I'm happy to share those cool games that um, come across my desktop when I can, and I will continue to do that. Um, 
Yeah, Logan, uh, there's been a lot of go- uh, of great episodes lately in the Anchor podcast, and Logan Howard has just been on fire. Uh, his last two episodes of Swordbreaker were great. Really enjoyed them. And Logan and I have a secret project in the works, which should be coming out very soon, I think. We... Um, have four items in our hopper and should be releasing the first one soon. I don't want to tease too much about it uh, until we're ready to go. But, um, you know, I've got these secret projects going on, one with you and one with Logan, and I can't wait to reveal them. So I don't know. Teaser. Stay tuned. It's going to be good. Hello, Mr. Otis. This is DM Carl from the Save or Die podcast. I wanted to call in and talk about character growth versus character death. And if those ideas are Uh, Totally disparate concepts, or if you can have both within a game system. And I personally think Classic D&D already has this. I think it's through Resurrection, which uh, seems like a cop-out answer, I'll admit. But I do think Resurrection, coming available as you are higher level, uh, kind of provides this arc where death at low levels is pretty much the end of the story. You do not have options available to you, but as you naturally progress the character and naturally become more interested in that character, now all of a sudden uh, options have opened up for play uh, after death. Uh, So I think that's a good mix where death can happen low level or high level, but at high level you have a workaround available to your players. I don't think that's a cop-out answer at all, Carl. I think that's a really interesting point. And in fact, I had some re- I had recorded some thoughts on resurrection that follow this. Uh, so I was really happy to have your call in as a kind of segue. I especially like your point that it comes in later, uh, meaning you don't have that option so much as a low-level character. Um, and you don't have as much invested in the character. It comes in when you need it, when you have a lot invested in the character already. So good point. And I'll now transition into my own thoughts about levels and resurrection and how they play into this idea of character growth and death. Talking about lethality uh, this week has engendered a lot of discussion on the audio uh, dungeon discord channel and online and other spaces. It's always a hot topic to talk about character death um, and character growth. Uh, and some of the ideas that were brought up are pretty interesting. Some people have talked about starting at a higher level. And of course that is a way to experience different ranges of levels. Um, so if you start characters at, let's say seventh level, that's different than starting characters at first level, of course. You get a different kind of game, a different feel of the game for uh, your typical fantasy adventure game like Dungeons & Dragons. But, of course, the, that doesn't mean anything in terms of character growth because you didn't grow the character to 7th level. So the only time you get character growth is, you, is if you would play from 7th level to, say, 12th level. Then you would experience growth. Um, so let's not confuse growth and leveling uh, just to, at the outset. It's an interesting idea, though, that if characters keep dying, that you could start a different place to experience a different kind of play. The other thing that was mentioned was resurrection. Now, both resurrection and starting at a higher level have a certain feel to me that I didn't always like. I'm I'm much more friendly to those ideas now than I was as a gamer back in the 70s. Uh, Starting at something other than first level felt like cheating, and honestly, resurrection felt like cheating, and we didn't do it very often, um, if at all. I don't remember having 
hardly any storylines that involve resurrection. If your character died, you just started over. It was always too expensive um, to to get resurrected. And some of the you know stuff about like just bringing back a finger finger and getting resurrected always seemed cheap to me. I felt like you have to bring back the whole body, and it has to be not very long, you know, that they've died um, before uh, before you get resurrected. And of course, that's not the way D and D works. And I should be more accepting of that. It just didn't. I didn't really like the flavor of that early on. Now I think it's fine. I think resurrection could really become an interesting part of a story as long as resurrection, the experience of it, changes you as a character. That could be part of character growth. Um, What happened to you on the other side? What did you see? What did you experience? How has that changed your outlook? Did it change your alignment? Did it change you physically? Um, How are you different on this side, um, as the second incarnation of yourself, what will you do differently? Did it make you paranoid, careful? Um, did it make you realize that life is short and make you more reckless? Um, did you see things on the other side that haunt you? Um, all that stuff could be really interesting with resurrection. And so I think in some ways that's the most interesting answer I've gotten back so far about this idea of combining a highly lethal game with a character growth game. It has to a little. Otherwise, uh, lethality is meaningless. If you could just bring back a fingernail and regrow somebody perfect and they just jump back in and start all over with, um, you know, don't even hardly lose their equipment, you know, if everybody dragged back their magic items or whatever, then it's meaningless and characters will continue to be reckless and not engage in creative thinking to get around lethal situations. So that's um, my additional two cents on lethality, character growth, and resurrection. How has Resurrection affected your games? I would like to know that. Um, Is it something that you treat lightly? Is it something that you've experienced over and over again? How about this? Somebody call in and tell me the character that has been resurrected the most number of times. Have you had a character that was resurrected six times? Seven? Um, (laughs) Let me hear how that went and whether it made any difference to the character. I'm also reminded of an episode of Daydreaming About Dragons called Death Incarnate. It was episode two uh, back from November of 2018, November 25th. And Judd was talking about this idea of the barrier between life and death being a little thinner than we normally think of it. So that if characters are in a fight and they are facing their, their mortality, you know, maybe when they get down to just one or two hit points and it looks like it's going to go bad for them, that death shows up in some form. And maybe it, it um, its incarnation is related to the place or the time or the character. Character. It could be uh, taking the form of spirits who died in that same place. Um, I won't go too much further with that because Judd does a great job of explaining it, and you can go back and listen to his podcast. But that's a neat idea, too, of making lethality more interesting uh, and perhaps lending itself to a character growth story, making it more interesting than just falling below Uh, zero hit points and, you know, blacking out and coming back or not coming back, right? That's not an interesting way to treat death. Let's treat it with more respect and fear and mystery than that. So there's another thought for you. I don't often talk about my Patreon, but of course I have one. It's at patreon.com slash rayotis. 
It was created to support the Dungeon World zine that I create, which is called Plundergrounds. This podcast is really kind of an offshoot of that. If you feel like supporting me, go over there. Um, It's a dollar a month. If you don't, that's great too. You'll still get all the stuff that I release for free. Um, Patreons get a little bit of extra, but honestly... um, I, I, I treat it the same way I treat the way I uh, Patreon other people, which is uh, if you like what the cr- a creator is doing and you have a few extra dollars to share, um, let's all help each other and put, put our money uh, behind people who are making things that we consume. Uh, it cr- cracks me up when we get into these little arguments about who's got quality and who doesn't. Um, there was lately a, um, a little bit of a kerfuffle about some comments that were made about Anchor Podcasts. And I just want to shout sometimes, it's all free. It's all free. Listen to it or don't. <laughs> like, and partake or don't. I don't think bad, uh, well, even if it is bad, I don't really think most of it is bad. But if there really is truly a bad Anchor Podcast, what harm is it doing? Right, you listen to it uh, once, you find out it's not for you. Uh, you don't subscribe. End of story. It didn't cost you a dime; it cost you a few minutes. Um, but it also cost the person making it a lot of time and probably a little bit of money in the sense of time is money. And maybe they put some uh, other resources behind it. You have to have a smartphone and things like that. Maybe they bought a mic. So let's be a little friendlier towards creators, right? And keep in mind how much of this stuff gets produced for free, and uh, keep our expectations in line with. That and just be happy that our hobby is so vibrant right now. Oh, I did intend to say, I got off track there. Um, I did intend to say something about my Patreon. I have revised it recently uh, to a monthly fee, which most of you know who are on the Patreon. But I also have a new goal, which is $250. If I can get $250 a month, I am going to release everything I do under a Creative Commons license. And that will be an attribution license only. Meaning all you have to do is credit the source um, and beyond that you could use everything I create uh, in any way you like. You could remix it, you could sell it, you could uh, quote it, um, whatever you want to do with it as long as you indicate where you got the the original idea or the original content. That will include everything I write, so my Plunderground zines, my independently created um, little mini games, as well as my drawings. Now, it won't cover the art of other people who appear in Plundergrounds because I don't have rights over their stuff, but any of my stuff will be released under Creative Commons and you can do whatever you want with it um, if I hit that $250 mark. Now, having said that, I'm right around two. 20 right now. So all I need is another, you know, few dozen patrons and I'll be there. If you know somebody that you uh, think would be interested in my work, or again, if you have a dollar or two to spare, um, please go over and, and join up. But this is a soft sell. Um, I do not want you to spend money you don't have. And I don't want you to, if you don't want to participate in something like Patreon, I don't want you to. Um, I want you to be 100% comfortable about putting a dollar behind me per month. Um, And if you aren't, don't do that. I still like you. You're still my friend. uh, And you will still get everything I have to offer that I put out there for free. So... Thank you very much for those of you who have been patrons of mine for a long time now. Um, it means a lot to me and has enabled me really uh, mostly to buy artwork from other creators to add to my stuff, which just thrills me to no end. I love having my words appear alongside the drawings of really great artists like Sean Poppy and Carl Sternberg. And uh, I'm going to forget everybody, that, uh, um, Evelyn Moreau. Um, 
Who else has been in my zine? Oh, uh, Juan Ochoa, of course. A lot of his work in there. Jim Jones had a piece in there. Um, and we'll have another piece in there pretty soon. So if I forgot somebody, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But um, I love your work. And it's very cool for me to have other people uh, to to really to elevate, uh, well, <laughs> to have other people elevating my work. I was going to say to elevate other people's works. I, I I like showing them off so that you can see their work, but I feel like their work elevates my work uh, rather than the, the opposite. Hopefully we all serve each other. All right, uh, moving on. I think that'll do it for today. I'm Ray Otis signing off. This has been Plundergrounds. The opening theme is by Logan Howard, and closing music is You Can Use by Captive Portal. You can find links to all of my projects, blogs, games, etc. at www.rayotis.com. That's R-A-Y-O-T-U-S. And show notes for all the episodes are at jellysaw.com. Until next time, look out for rest monsters.